1: Well, hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. Get on inside. We got another exciting, adventurous interview episode for you today. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me as always is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle?
0: I'm doing good. Exciting about excited about today's guest, Mr. Joe Sakala. He is founder and CEO of the DreamX. Yeah, how are you
1: doing today, Joe? I'm doing great. That's me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> joe i was looking through your your bio here and it seems like you've led quite an interesting life uh, yeah. uh with the exception of a little stint as a u.s uh, army cavalry officer um uh, seems like you've always been kind of in the markets
2: i have been i'm uh, i actually like to say i forced gump my way through my life <laughs> <laughs> how many
0: how many times did you meet the president then uh, he, Is that
2: well, no. <laughs> believe it or not a couple of times oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. as long yeah, as you I kept your pants I on literally yeah <laughs> I,
0: I am drinking a dr pepper as we speak
2: <laughs> yeah i um i mean I've, I've kind of bounced around i i was a cpa early early in my career mm-hmm. uh worked for KPMG and went to law school at night and had a lot of experience when i came out so i really opened my own firm right away doing um, securities offerings. I was doing you know VC deals and small private equity deals and raising a lot of money in the in the mid 1990s mm-hmm. and then I was fortunate enough to be the lawyer for a, a three partners that created what the world now knows as The stock exchange the the New York Stock Exchange called nice ArCA. One and the same was built in a very small room with a very very small cadre of people in between 1996 and 1999. I didn't realize
0: it was that old.
2: Yeah, so um, I mean, it was it was one of the first three ECNs, so electronic communication networks, mm-hmm. at the in 2000, really forever changed capital markets because you know you, what what you have today is anyone who would consider an open outcry marketplace would, would be shot on site. <laughs> so everything is. Yeah. And, and so, so the invention of capital markets as electronic financial services, uh, teams, I was the, one of the pioneers, uh, 25 or 27 years ago. Now, gosh, I'm getting old. Was everyone excited to adopt that? Or was there a lot of pushback? Uh, you know, in the early days, there was the usual, early adopter resistance to the Mm -hmm. new idea. But the the unique thing about Archipelago um, in the markets, if you were a market speculator back in the early 90s, or you were a market maker even, Mm -hmm. um, you didn't have a consolidated quotation system. Right. So you'd have to look at your quotations and decide for yourself whether you were routing to NYSE or NASDAQ or Philadelphia Exchange or Pacific Exchange, the national best bid, best offer system didn't exist. Huh. So it, when Archipelago, which is Greek for a series of islands, unified the best bid, best offer in the market, it was v- a virtual impossibility not to trade on on the ARCAX system because you always were getting the best bid, best offer. So if, even though it was pioneering and different and early adopting, naturally everybody Migrated to the archipelago system, and then, I mean, Goldman Sachs invested a bunch of money, and then by 2005, archipelago merged with the New York Stock Exchange. My former client uh, Jerry Putnam became chairman of the exchange, Mm -hmm. and um, from from 2005 to to today, you know, the birth of you know electronic trading and all the both the controversial and every other aspect of of algorithmic and financial market, um, I guess, tools has been born since that time. But it was really Archipelago that was the, there there were two others. I mean, the the island and and InstaNet were competitors. But when we were creating Archipelago, uh, it it wasn't even technically legal. Oh, really? Well, the <laughs> the, the ECN regulations, the, the electronic communication network regulations at the SEC hadn't been passed yet. Oh. So, you know, Jerry Putnam and Margwin Townsend and Louis Porcelino, who were the three founding partners, had invented something for which it was so positive in the marketplace that they actually developed a regulation to govern it later. Mm-hmm. It was like we they built the better mousetrap, if you will, and... You know, and now we we trade in microseconds, mm-hmm. and 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 the use of electronic technology to really to to be at your computer and point and click and know that you're secure in the best prices. It's almost like it's so taken for granted that talking about twenty seven years ago is. I, I compare it to uh, you know logging into AOL with that right. scratchy sound. I mean, that's where we were <laughs> yeah. back then. Now it's. <laughs> You know, nobody has a trout pro- a problem emailing a video.
0: I always wondered why I had the ability to select an exchange. I wonder if that's just a holdover when you're placing an order for when this was first being developed for people who didn't trust. No,
2: you can still choose. Okay? Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah so you you can still choose where to route and a lot of it has some i mean to some extent if you're you know if you're trading in smaller lots or trading for your own account through your your whatever BD you're attached to or you are a BD mm-hmm. it doesn't make a lot of difference if your all your trades are going to go to the national best bid best offer system because it's it's a commodity right on the other hand, if you're algorithmic and you want to choose an exchange, um, there are certain advantages, disadvantages to going to CBOE, which has BATS, to going to uh, NASDAQ, which will go to other ATSs if you're going to away route to an exchange. So there are other reasons than the, just the vanilla trade mm-hmm. to choose the pr- proverbial order route of your, of your exchange trading. But yeah, the, sorry, I could go deep dive. You, you guys <laughs> <I> love it.
0: <laughs> it's super interesting to me. So hopefully the listeners think the same.
2: <laughs> so I, about a year ago when we um, announced our capital partners, mm-hmm. so I have minority capital partners. Well, my other hobby, we were talking about my career. My, my, my hobby when I was a lawyer was <laughs> I, you know, I'm a Chicagoan. Oh, okay. So one of my law partners uh, was just a big civil rights lawyer, and he was suing the city of Chicago repeatedly for the for the police you know beating the snot out of people as he should <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, was, it, was, it was it was very intriguing to me because I, I enjoyed making money practicing law and I love what I do I eat dream, I eat dream sleep think dream exchange all day every day uh but it just felt so good to help him with the with the civil rights cases that i i developed this reputation in the black community and i became close to black leadership in chicago and just a trusted attorney among them Mm -hmm. and the the interesting part was i developed these relationships and our our other market so i'm kind of all my career moves have kind of merged are the real concentration of the future of the dream exchange is developing new IPO markets. So we have a bigger menu mm-hmm. of IPOs with smaller cap mm-hmm. companies hmm. and among the most underserved public company marketplace are these extraordinarily valuable black owned companies cuz right now there's only 8 black owned companies ever to have listed on a stock exchange in the history of our country really and that's in 230 years yeah not 8% 8 companies right wow right so and and that that doesn't mean there are not hundreds of really cool really good Uh, quality companies that could take, be in the public markets that would be exciting to kind of get in at the earlier stage in the black community. Mm -hmm. So anyway, when I, when we made the announcement last year that my capital partners and eventually the majority ownership of the exchange, I mean, it is actually technically right now 51% black owned. We made an announcement. I thought this is going to be a news story for like a couple of weeks. And. We had a million people within within 30 days through our website. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, my Wow. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, it was like they want you to go on uh, Fox in the Morning with Maria Bartiromo. And so <laughs> I hadn't planned. Like I said, a Forrest Gump, I-, I hadn't planned for any of that. Right. But I talked to the capital markets in a very different way than your ordinary stock exchange CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's... What, I think is kind of interesting and cool about it is the approach I have is and I you know people want to ask me what do you think is going to happen to uh, to the Dow and what's going to happen you know to to you know the uh, the, the the New York Stock Exchange composite and things like that I'm like I, I have no idea I just know that we're going to carry the traffic <laughs>
1: right right. <laughs>
2: you know, It may go up, it may go down, but if we don't have a fair playing field, stock exchanges are much more the referee of the playing field. If we have a really fair playing field for the trader, and we have a fair playing field for the new IPO marketplace, that's really the job of the exchanges, is to Mm -hmm. create the capital markets in a way where all the participants can play on an equal and fair playing field. Why That's the dream exchange purpose.
0: Why did you decide to focus on IPOs then? Is there something with the current system that uh, you think needs to be
2: addressed? Yeah, huge. So, in fact, and that that's a really loaded question for us. I know. <laughs> uh, <not that> <laughs> Good job. Let
0: me know if we need to censor anything.
2: <laughs> yeah, slow pitch, slow pitch softball. So, you know, doctors like to use the word side effect. I mm-hmm. think everything is just an effect. Some are unwanted. Oh, right. right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I used to always joke that uh, every pill commercial should just reverse and be like, "This pill will give you headaches, nausea, vomiting, and it might help your skin."
2: Exactly, <laughs> it's exactly right. It's like what what you, you start out with what it does do, but there's so many things other than what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So when when, Arca, when Archipelago kind of really became the focal point of you know, capital markets, volume-based trading and, and the speed of electronic trading and algorithmic trading and dark pools and all of what is our financial marketplace today mm-hmm. really took over the market. So if you were going to be an IPO candidate before the year 2000 and you were only going to raise $50 million. That represented somewhere between 70 and 90 percent of all IPOs hmm. and the small cap IPO was the fair-haired child of Wall Street and and there were over 500 middle market investment banks and Bill hembrecht and hembrecht and Quist were the leader of the they called them the four horsemen of the middle market I don't know why the four horsemen analogy that's usually a sign of the
0: yeah that sounds apocalyptic isn't it right. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: so but but it was a robust public capital marketplace to support emerging company ideas mm-hmm. and as soon as the the bankers and the exchanges figured out that we can make a lot of money with the most uh popular unicorn multi-billion dollar IPO the small cap IPO died and it's literally when you look at the graph of it it's it's a meteoric plummet from 500 600 700 ipos per year down to in the small cap marketplace there are years we've had 4 12 so it's just died mm-hmm. and what is what i'm just recognizing and correctly pointing to is that it's not because we don't have good small cap companies or because there are there's a lack of entrepreneurs or ideas they're still there, Right. the capital markets don't have a spot for them. Hmm. So we've created another type of exchange called a venture exchange. And that that's really where our original business plan focused, which is on a new law called the Main Street Growth Act, which I've been very helpful in contributing to the authorship of. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, my like I said, here I go again with Forrest Gump. It worked really well. I mean, Jeb Henserling, who was at the time the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, and Maxine Waters and her entire staff just really got along very well drafting a very good, helpful capital markets bill for small cap companies. And the bill mm-hmm. the the bill passed the House Financial Services Committee unanimously and the House unanimously and the Senate unanimously. And then at the end of 2018 when they shut down the government it wasn't signed into law so oh, it, shit. yeah it was <laughs> it's just been a pregnant pause for this whole time but it it we just had another hearing on the bill March 30th mm-hmm. and it looks like the exact same thing is going to happen again we're going to it's going to go sailing through the rest of the year and the birth of venture exchanges is going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months where small cap companies literally raising between five and $75 million have an opportunity to go into a customized exchange environment mm-hmm. where market speculators get to participate. You get to, to have the new brand new security IPO marketplace reinvigorated because the rules can be customized to accommodate for changes to kind of almost a throwback to the to the days of uh, the the 60s 70s and 80s IPO market we can customize the rules mm-hmm. to accommodate but also use the current bleeding edge financial technology so that we don't need an open outcry pit and uh, you know a, a human being shouting at each other we can shout at each other via, our electronics yeah, at, at the monitors, like a normal exactly. person on the internet, like, <laughs> 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 like, your, like your listeners probably do every day. Um, um, I know I do. Yeah. We mm-hmm. just want to give mm-hmm. them more opportunity to shout. So that's, that's the fun part of what we're doing is I, that to me, that's the future. Really fun part is I love working with entrepreneurs and, you know, I'm I like with archipelago, it was an idea whose time had come mm-hmm. and, it's fun to see that it's I've been around one company that went from you know we raised a few hundred thousand dollars and it's a nine nine and a half billion dollar asset value today Uh, that to me is the most exciting thing you can do and every step of the way everybody's having fun The, the the finance people are having fun the entrepreneurs having fun as long as you can make milestones and keep moving your company along And without a public capital market, you don't have an exit for those early investors. Right. And and without that exit, people pull back and they only want to invest in the unicorn then. Right. So getting people interested, knowing that there's a public market exit will really stimulate. I think it's going to both stimulate the private capital markets as well as the public markets because more people will be willing to see a three-year milestone with their private investment to a public offering right Hmm. yeah so that's that's become the mission of my life for the last uh, post archipelago uh you know years so from from 2008 2009 to today is that's really all i've been well i mean something needs to be
0: done with the ipo system anyway because i mean really you have like two choices right you can go SPAC, or you can get an underwriter who's going to undervalue your shares by about 100 percent, so that way they can make a you know, nice killing everybody else who gets in on the IPO offering before it hits the market.
2: Right. Yeah, And, and the, the the underpricing in favor of the book runner mm-hmm. of, of a very large capital markets deal is, um, you know, something that you're not going to get around. You're going to do a billion dollar IPO. Where are you going to go? You're not, you're not going to go to, you know, your Edward Jones guy around the corner. You've got to go to somebody who can get you a billion dollars. Right. Whereas the mapping of pricing in the small cap deals is far more advantageous to the early IPO buyer Mm -hmm. because you can actually wealth build. You never hear this expression anymore. And I'm kind of a child of the 80s. Let me get in early on an IPO. Nobody says that anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because it doesn't even exist. Yep. So we're really. Working well, we we're partnering with educational people too. Like they, we just opened the Dream Exchange Career Center at the University of Wisconsin Lubar College of Business a week ago, and the the one of the keys is pulling university level education into capital markets in a new and a different way. Because I think also, you know, when I was going to college and becoming a CPA, Mm -hmm. well, I wanted to work on public companies. And there were a lot of them. And the public company marketplace was something where the financial services sector provided a lot of services. And today, public company markets are, let me get a job working for a big public company. Mm -hmm. Not let me work on creating public companies. Right, And we want to develop an entire like literacy program, where the choices aren't just I have to be a billion dollar IPO to get underwritten, or I can you know throw myself at every SPAC that's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reverse merger market is is still a viable market, but no one there's a lower trust level because people think the reverse merger market is kind of uh, always a little bit specious. It's really not if you can find you know good. Target companies are good operators, mm-hmm. and then the other big, huge misunderstanding that people have is that somehow the over-the-counter markets is an actual stock exchange. It's not; it's a brokerage, right? And you, there is no exchange level compliance that an OTC company has to go through to be. They're not listed. Yep, that's why they're over the counter. They're not <laughs> listed on an exchange. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know and I talked to people and they're like, "Well, isn't what you're doing just the OTC market?" I'm like, "No, there's 10,000 OTC registrations So Somebody registered their shares with the SEC. They got a public shell somewhere, but you don't really know anything about those companies so with with you actually starting an exchange
0: you'll have real regulations
2: exactly we we have full exchange compliance in a regulated market with our own self-regulatory organization that can provide investor protection and once you have a trustworthy security you'll get liquidity Mm -hmm. no trustworthiness no liquidity so I love what we're doing. It's so much fun, and we, we're actually um, reviewing the SPAC market right now. I'm, there's a white paper that we'll probably publish in a couple of months on this newer phenomenon because SPACs have become increasingly more popular. Yep. But the problem with the SPAC is the the SPAC itself can't pre-identify its candidates. No, nope. just as objectives. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so you've got to go in like you're you're the company the target companies have to go and shop for us back and you just never know it it's like buying lottery tickets almost exactly you're 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 just you just never know and you never know what what we're discovering is you never know if the uh, SPAC participants are going to vote in favor of the business combination. Mm-hmm. You can go through the due diligence. You can do everything you're going to do to be bought out or to merge into a SPAC public. And and then if the shareholders decide they want their money back, you've, it's all for naught. Right. So it's not as secure. I'll tell you one exciting thing that has happened uh, in the last two years is the uh, new regulation on a direct public listing where you can both simultaneously go public, register your shares, mm-hmm. and list without the use of an underwriter. So the company Palantir did that very successfully.
0: Yep, mm. I remember when that happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's. I think it's a really cool little known, like it, it, I don't think it got a lot of traction and it didn't get as much publicity as an alternative mechanism to get onto a, an exchange not just to go public and i think palantir is a is a great example because i think they're underpricing and the v- the wealth creation of the you know, the founders, I think they went public at like ten bucks a share and they they trade regularly now at, you know, twenty two to twenty five dollars a share um in an eighteen month period. So everybody that did get in early on the ten dollars a share IPO is, you know, any exiting that they're doing is really profit taking. Right. Uh, I mean, unless you bought at twenty five, don't get me wrong. I'm I <laughs> I represented traders my whole career. So I, I, I've i always somebody did. After- <laughs> Yeah, you, you always got to be careful because you, you know, they're like, yeah, it ain't that easy. <laughs> but you know, that direct public listing is something we'd be. Are going to explore too because uh, it's lower cost. It, you don't need the underwriter. Your valuations are determined internally. You're working directly with the exchange, and then the traders have a menu. I, I'm I'm a big like I said. I built my career representing traders, mm-hmm. and without market speculators and without people willing to like just play that game, you don't have a market, right? And they have to have something new and interesting, and that has the potential to help them profitably trade and trade speculate as well as wealth create. And if you don't have product, you don't have a capital market system. So we want to get as many listings of really cool, fun, new companies as we can and allow the menu to be shopped by the average retail investor and market speculator and Day trader and all the money that's sitting out there that actually makes our markets move, we want those guys back in the market.
0: So how does how is this actually going to work then? Like, let's say everything goes as planned, you open up the exchange. Am I going to be able to trade securities through it using like my TD Ameritrade account, or do I yes. have to open up a
2: separate brokerage? Nope. So uh, right now, actually, we're in the uh, we're in our program where, and believe it or not, the way we look at the market is. Our members, Mm -hmm. when we sign TD Ameritrade, we haven't signed them yet, and I can't disclose any of the other people we're talking to until we're ready, but but yes, eventually TD Ameritrade, every brokerage out there will be a member. We're offering membership to the brokerage industry for free. Mm -hmm. So we want everyone who has the potential to deliver volume to our exchange to have connectivity. Right, and that makes sense. And once you do, uh, every retail investor will be able to see the menu. What will probably happen with the venture exchange is there'll be an added set of criteria, like when you set up your TD trade account mm-hmm. and they asked you a bunch of questions and you know about your sophistication and you know do you know what you're doing trading options or whatever the questions are where you have to lie to get the proof no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where most people just check all the boxes to be able to get themselves into the market right yes yeah. been trading for years yeah i'm i'm a seasoned professional <laughs> define sophisticated right. so exactly. What there will be, though, is there'll probably be a brokerage limitation, not just a question and answer. Mm -hmm. Because it has to be a bit more meaningful because they are smaller companies and there's actually statutory requirements. You know, some of the lowest tier venture exchange offerings will have a, a a cap, a limitation on the number of non-accredited investors. So the brokerage will be gathering the data to make sure you're an accredited for the very, very, very tiny offers. On the other hand, once you reach twenty million in capital raise in your IPO and up, generally the entire retail market is available. Mm-hmm. Um, below twenty million, there's still a, uh, there's still going to be, you won't be able to click and just get through. Right. You, so, but there will be a separate screen. We're working out the what my software engineer, my I call them the the scary, the scary software guys, and the ones that tell you it can't be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or it can be done. It's just going to take about thirty-five more years. Right, right. No, I've got, I've got guys who tell me thirty-five minutes, and it, it, actually, they're really scary because um, then they do it. <laughs> right, <laughs> like whoa, I was just spitballing. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that before. Don't finish that coffee. We'll be done. Yeah. So no, the the GUI the was what they call it. Like, what's the user interfaces? And right. Yeah. How yeah. cool will it look, and how much information's available? That's a lot of stuff in development right now that is going to take a little while for the venture markets. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's going to actually be easily accessible by your phone apps and stuff like that because. Look, if Robin Hood has taught us anything, it's that the retail investing market is very interested. They're just, there's a high interest in securities trading and wealth creation through buying and selling of stocks. Yeah, they just want it fair. Yeah. yeah. You just, <laughs> I mean, there are other lessons of Robin Hood that I want. <laughs> <which> <laughs> I can,
0: we can skip that for today. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's another podcast altogether. (laughs) You know, but for example, though, even the reason we're able to talk about that is it shined a really bright light on, wow, there's retail people here. And wait a minute, that we don't like that. (laughs) So, but the fact that there were enough people Squeaking the wheel to get the oil shows you, and a million—like I said—a million people through our website. Right. Uh, Once we're out there, someone once asked me uh, in another podcast a while back, "What keeps you up at night?" And I really had to think about it. And now, because I've been asked, I—it's an easy answer. I'm—I'm afraid about drinking from a fire hose. Oh yeah, yes. My my greatest fear is we have hooked the fish. And quote Jaws, uh, I'm always afraid we're going to need a bigger boat. Right, it's just such an enormous market. The American people love this. This they just everyone loves it. There's just nobody, and no one's ever argued with me about whether auction markets work Mm -hmm. they've been around for in our country for 230 years they work right and longer than that in europe yeah look it's why it's why apple computer has a trillion dollar balance sheet today and it started in a garage (laughs) right okay it's capital markets work and why not make them more available and you don't have to have a uh, 1400 percent return in three months to be a successful IPO for a really good company. I had one investor tell me, I love 15%. Can you, can you get me a 15% IRR? <laughs> I love 15%. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, you know, if we could just do 15%, that would be phenomenal.
0: Done. <laughs> so, yeah. Sounds like someone asking you to lie to him.
2: Like, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> if
2: that's all it's going to take, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that. 1 20? I have a little evil side to my, sense of humor i'm like well you know bernie madoff did 15 percent for years <laughs> year in and year out he never failed it was always 15 percent. i don't know how he didn't do 14.9 one year hey, um, yeah. 15.1 another but <laughs> can always find him you know after all
0: there you go um can we pivot back real quick to the uh you mentioned the term accredited yeah and that's something that's always been something that i bristle at is the idea that i have to have a lot of money to understand how to make money uh, what is the reasoning behind that like is it really just the idea that if you have it then that means you obviously know how to spend it because i think theranos kind of taught us that that may not necessarily be the case <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry that theranos is yet another po- entire podcast yeah, um, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> my wife um, listens to it <laughs> so i'm right now and it depends on what what member of congress you're talking to and what regulator the there is a kind of consensus that the definition of accredited investor has become a bit antiquated Mm -hmm. and the, the the original theory behind accredited was um and I've been in many meetings at the SEC, and it's it's interesting how far afield the outside discussions become. SEC's got a good mission. They want to protect investors. Right. And I, and, and at one point, I remember, um, I think it was, um, I don't remember if it was Chairman Clayton, he said, you know, why are we here? And I, I think everyone was looking at themselves. He said, we're here because people lose their money. Mm-hmm. If no one ever lost any money, there'd be no purpose to having an SEC. Right and it kind of refocusing the room's attention and and the fact is the accredited investor rules make a, a a principal assumption which is someone with a lot of money can take a risk because they can afford to lose their money right which is, a, is which is a little crazy because no one should lose their money right not if you do the research that you're supposed to do <laughs> well and that's the point the point is you know some 3 year out of school engineer from mit that wants to invest in a you know an aerospace company clearly has more information right than uh, a a a guy who sold his grocery store and has five million cash in the bank one's an accredited Mm -hmm. fine um but he knows nothing about aerospace and the other guy's an expert and can actually tell you whether the company's viable so there's a certain differentiation between accredited or able to absorb loss and sophisticated, able to understand the merits of the investment. That's going through
0: congressional debate. As we speak, last I had seen though, they were just talking about raising the limits to become accredited. Um, has that conversation shifted then?
2: Yeah, because there's also a conversation to allow for, uh, registration or what do I want to call it? A written test, <laughs> like a certification. There's a sophistication test, There, they're, they're, it's a work in progress. Well, that's that makes
0: a lot more sense. I mean, if you want to prove that somebody knows the risks and, and that, like, you should, Normally when you get an accreditation, like there's something that you had to do to get that certificate, right?
2: Being a CPA, I will, I will pass, I'll pass on answering. (laughs) (laughs) Because what what a CPA had to do is actually a form of, I think there's a human rights violation. But yeah, you, you fundamentally you're right. It's like, what is it that uh, what is it that you've passed? What makes you accredited?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Merely having money doesn't do it. Just winning the lottery doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, and what's the old expression? A fool and his money will soon part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that, but they're working on that. I I I haven't tried to weigh in. There's actually a bill in Jobs Act 4.0 which would redefine accredited investor. I don't know whether it's going to get a lot of traction at the moment because it's an election year. I hope it does. They're, they're working on it.
0: I hope it does because if you want to talk about something that is keeping minorities from being able to prosper in, yeah. in the venture capital marketplace, like that is it right there.
2: Yeah, I can I can tell you that the other main – one of the things we're working on is – the definition of a uh, minority-owned enterprise mm-hmm. because that is a that is a very big deal for us. You know, think about it this way. To be a minority-certified company, you have to have 51% minority ownership. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you want to raise let, – let's just hypothetically say you want to raise $50 million and you have a, an $80 million valuation. Right. You're in trouble. Yep. yep. If you have less than if you have a ninety nine million dollar valuation, you have the potential of losing the minority certification. Um, so that's another area that we're looking at, which is actually acting as a suppressive rule to expand and get bigger amounts of capital into really valuable I companies. That you know, I see, right? So if we if we change some of those definitions and talk about what it actually means to have. You know, minority participation on the board, um, minority management of the company, as well as uh, minority share ownership. And we shift the rules as the company expands. Um, you can really see that there'll be more companies dedicated to it. The The other part of this, this is the really compelling thing about what we're doing. The, the treasury department in 2010, mm-hmm. because of the market crash or the, Economic crisis. They they held a task force on IPOs, and they wanted to figure out what the hell happened. You know, where did all those small cap IPOs go? And they thought, well, is it a good or a bad thing? And as part of the examination, they went, boy, do we need IPOs? Ninety two percent of the jobs that are created in a company will occur after an IPO. Interesting. So if you have a hundred person company and you can accomplish the going public uh, exercise. Generally, you'll have a thousand employee company. What if you have a four employee company (laughs) that has run out of your house? I I suppose that'll skew the statistic because if you had four employees, you've got 100% growth, right? I wouldn't
0: mind doubling.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, let's do it. Well, when you take that statistic Mm -hmm. and then you marry that with, in the history of the United States, eight public companies that are black owned, you can now see that job growth in, you know, where company headquarters might necessarily be for a public company. If, if that company is located in a black community and they want to be a public company, well, look at the job growth and the prosperity and the community activity <sighs> of real living wage career-oriented jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, you, you got a public company. You've got human resources, you've got marketing, you've got treasury, you've got production areas and quality control and, you know, investor relations and public relations. There, the, It isn't just, I actually had this conversation with uh, a, a, a who will remain unnamed member of Congress. Mark Cuban? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the, the fact was that I said, you know, I, I have nothing against increases in the minimum wage. Go for it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really people have to plan their business. And if we bump minimum wage up, that's fine. But let's look at it through this lens. Why do we have to increase minimum wage for a person who who now needs a living wage in a job that used to be like, you know, you're working at a fast food restaurant. You know, when I was in high school, guys used to flip burgers part time to, to save some college money. Mm-hmm. Why are we trying to impose an entire career full of benefits and a living wage into a minimum wage environment, we're, we're never going to get there. Because even if you bump minimum wages dramatically, it's still not going to be sufficient for, you know, a household to have a family. You, you'd have to have three minimum wage jobs. Right. We, what you need is an actual career job in a community where people can grow their career. And right. be a college graduate, let's put it this way, a college graduate working retail or working in a fast food industry who's not in that as a career is not a solution to widespread prosperity in the communities of America. So if we put more public companies there, when you look at the headquarters of public companies, I love using the example right down the street from where I where my office is is uh, the headquarters of Allstate Insurance, mm-hmm. world headquarters. They have like thirty thousand employees at their world headquarters. Do, do Do you know how many jobs and how much community is built just because Allstate is in that community? Yep. You know, in addition to the fact that they have tennis courts and softball fields and all the corporate uh, environment of what a great job. Who, who wouldn't want to go to work there? It's like you fell into nirvana plus you have all the support things that support that per, precisely the ripple well, effect is right. it's not merely like a uh, trickle down economics where you know the rising tide floats all boats it's an actual community it's there for decades mm-hmm. and everywhere from the dry cleaners to the schools and the restaurants and the and all of the ancillary businesses supporting tens of thousands of people making very um, you know I I don't want to call them middle class I don't know how to define that in particular but not anymore (laughs) yeah right but you know it's certainly more than merely a get by paycheck right and we just need to get rid of the get by paychecks we need to grow the prosperity and public companies grow meaningful job participation this is why Congress is like all over this Mm -hmm. when you have small public companies you can correlate the expansion of the small public company market to major decreases in unemployment that are uh, long-term and staying opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like you can make a permanent change in your society by getting public company support. And uh, none of that's demonizing the private capital markets. I'm not against the public... I want the private capital markets to flourish because I want them to want to come to my market.
0: Right, you want them. You just want them to be more inclusive.
2: It, well, And not only that, I, I want to democratize the ability for the public markets to enable any company that so chooses to come and have the average investor vote with their pocketbook. Right. You know, I want to be in early on the cool new company just like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And we're building that model We've built the model. It's actually a white paper. It's called Low Visibility Markets Acting as Stepping Stones to National Markets. It's published in Oxford University's Handbook on IPOs. Myself and our director of research are the authors. And we proved it. I mean, I, at least according to Oxford University. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, we, but, you know, we proved that the model, the data supports that it works and it works well. And it has historically worked well. Right. So that's, I don't know, even, sorry, you put a nickel in and I can, I love what I do <laughs> and, I, and I go, I'm, I like to be a good guest on podcasts because, you know, you're hopefully we're giving good information out to people. So they have an enlightened viewpoint of what the real meaning of what has become something uh, more or less uh, cynic, cynical about capital markets and right. stock trading. And we're kind of trying to break the mold of cynicism and get get people active in a meaningful way again uh, that sounds really exciting to me uh, i'm
0: looking forward to seeing when this comes out and but so what would the steps be if we wanted to list ourselves as an ipo on one of your venture venture exchanges
2: so at the moment so the, and I, have, I get that question too so we haven't published our rule book mm. part the part of the reason is the the ink isn't on the bill yet right yeah that's fair i'm usually really cautious about it but i can i can say this the model for listings for the candidates has particular lanes Mm -hmm. so industry lanes as well as long-term conceptual requirements in other words let's just say that you've been a company that has uh, never made a penny you've been around for five years and coincidentally you're developing uh, in a lab something that is uh, ex- an extraordinary uh, useful tool for curing cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, that company needs public company marketplace participation. Right. We don't want to lose a cure for cancer. No. Right. Please, no. <laughs> right. Right. So, as we develop our criteria, which are still a work in process internally, we're doing a scoring system which we will give to the candidate. It'll include duration of the company. It'll include the basic financial metrics that are you your everyone would be ordinarily familiar with because that guides the opportunity to succeed. We also have you know, do you have you developed or are you developing independent boards of directors? Are your corporate governance documents in place? Can we perform adequate due diligence? All the heavy lifting that you would expect for a public company. Mm-hmm. But we're not kicking anyone to the curb. We're saying, okay, here's here's more check boxes in your candidacy to become public that we know if you do these things, you will be a successful public company. And then inside of all that, we're actually looking at what the value of your product is to our society, Mm -hmm. which is, and I've been talking about this for 14 years. This is an actual definition of what people are trying to mull around, it's like a dog's breakfast right now. What is ESG and what is diversity, equity, inclusion? What do those things actually mean? Well, we're actually quantifying that mm-hmm. and have been for years. So that when that when a candidate is approaching the venture market, primarily what we're asking is, look at your mechanics. Don't worry if you haven't made any money. Mm-hmm. Because... If it weren't for negative bottom lines, there wouldn't be small companies. So it, immediately, we would like right now to be uh, to list on any stock exchange in America, you have to have EBITDA for three years in a row. I mean, the NASDAQ markets, you don't have EBITDA, you forget it. Well, that's not the venture marketplace. Ironically, it's not even the large capital marketplace. Tesla didn't make any money until last summer. Yeah. I know. It took, <laughs> it took them forever. Right but look at the idea encapsulated and the support it got in the capital markets because whether we like it or not whether it's controversial and you know whether the climate is important to you or not electronic vehicles are a wave of the future Mm -hmm. and tesla had the first retail available electronic vehicle at a price point that could be purchased by a consumer Right. Well, if you have that idea and you can pull that off, b- welcome to our market. Right. <laughs> and, and if you're in the infancy of that and, y- you know, you're still in the proverbial Apple computer garage, we still want you. We're Uncle Sam. We want you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be delivering more of these kind of what I just said, educational materials. So in their each candidate can, in their own mind, begin to formulate how to work with the exchange, not just approach us, but our, our marketing and promotional teams in the future are all going to be about creating a literacy for the small entrepreneurial company to to help them reach the public markets because we just don't have the middle market broker-dealer marketplace anymore. So we're going to substitute to some degree in helping them understand the, the application process, which is going to include substantially more diligence on the company by the exchange itself mm-hmm. than has ever been done before, because we're going to be the cost reduction mechanism. In other words, if you go to an underwriter and you go to the professionals and you have to pay, clearly there'll be some professional fees, but to take the cost of going public down, we're the ones who will benefit from that company succeeding in our capital marketplace. So we're making the investment in recruiting candidacies for uh, the emerging company marketplace. And it's actually what we call it the early stage growth company. I, I'm very proud of that term. Uh, it's now in the Main Street Growth Act. I'm I'm the one who coined it. All right. <laughs> and um, Yes. <yeah>, nice. <laughs> I think that'll be on a tombstone of mine someday. Here's the nice Joe joke. Coined the term early stage growth company. But the, 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 the early stage growth company marketplace, which has a particular statutory definition now, we want to focus on making sure that, the, that they understand what it means, not merely, hey, I got a cool idea, but who are your strategic relationships? How are you developing your board? Right. How do you get your corporate governance documents place? How, do you have auditors? Do you know what an auditor is? <laughs> oh, good you questions. Know? Right. So y- it's just educational because we've really lost the public marketplace interest. So people don't know. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, the, there's a surprising level of, you know, lack of, of for for lack of a better expression, um, educational interest and information and we're just trying to restore all that Mm -hmm. that'll be how we get our listeners sounds good to me right so you have a one of you has a company you're interested in taking (laughs) public. it's just our company we're just just a thought yeah be interesting to see how that worked you know i'm interestingly enough we have a we have we haven't pushed it hard Mm -hmm. we have a small what i consider to be a, a a social media pilot it's called DreamX Connect, and uh, you, you get at it through our website. And in it, we actually have menu-driven information that the entrepreneur or small company can populate. Uh-huh. And when they do that, there's a media board. We haven't – this is still in a pilot stage at the exchange because we intend to, to, to expand it and make it actually kind of pretty. Right now, it's not super pretty. But when you populate the information – you're then able to do a Boolean search of, there's like 2,000 participants right now, of strategic relationships. Uh, There are accredited, accredited investors there. There are other companies there. You can actually get into a message board, private messaging conversation with other people in the community so that you can gather the information you need. But most importantly, we're gathering your data on your company so that we can then look at your organization and try to offer suggestions as to where your holes are to get from where you are at point A to point B which is venture listing when by the time we open right we haven't pushed it hard yet i'm waiting for i'm really waiting to get closer to the ink dry on the bill and then we intend to launch a fairly sizable promotional campaign to pull in the listings, but the start place right now would be DreamX Connect. Dream it's at, it's on our website. It's called uh, DreamX Connect. Yeah, through DreamX dot DreamEX is our website.
0: Okay, make sure we put that in the episode description so people can find it. Are you guys on any social media channels too? Should we? Uh...
2: We we are. We haven't pushed it. Although it's funny, we're so DreamX. I think it's DreamX official is on LinkedIn. We have an Instagram page. I think I think we have a Facebook page we haven't pushed social media hard. ironically, our LinkedIn page has about twenty one hundred uh followers mm-hmm. and there are there's the other new exchanges that have been functioning for a few years. Uh, I'm very proud of this fact. I'm like, we're not even open, and we have 2,000 followers, and the functional exchanges have like 3,000 followers. <laughs> 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 I know, like, we're we're also going to begin to push these. Are, what I'm suggesting right now, within 90 days, there's going to be some fairly major announcements about what we're doing mm-hmm. that I think will increase the social media footprint dramatically. And we I've been trying to fly a little under the radar while we are in construction of the exchange, because um, then I get questions I can't answer. But we will have answers. Uh, within 90 days, we're going to be made some major press releases and major announcements about what's going to be happening.
0: Sounds like we need to schedule to come back in about three months
2: then, huh? I, Honestly this was a really cool i your your, uh, your conversational i'm i'm having fun i've probably done 100 podcasts in the last uh 2 years some of them are very short and not very fun <laughs> <laughs> oh well i feel really honored right now clip that dan clip that yeah <laughs> i will happily i probably laugh more on this podcast so i'll happily come back and uh and and both of you obviously get it. it it's hardest when I'm, um, you know, there's a, there's a, you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying,
0: trying to explain stock trading to your grandma.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think I was saying, I, I remember, I think I was saying like when I went on uh, Maria Bartiromo that she was the one asking, so the market volatility is really crazy today. What do you think is going to happen? And I thought, well, that's not the right person to ask that. I don't know. I don't <laughs> answer that. Um, I don't give investment advice. And uh, I'm really, uh, you know, we're designing something to carry all the traffic. Hopefully, there'll be more.
0: So, Joe, what stock do you yeah. like for 20 years in the future exactly. that you can talk about?
2: Exactly. I'm like, uh, you know what? I, I really like this little company called Dream Exchange. Uh, I, know yeah, about, <laughs> I know all about it.
0: <laughs> Joe, I've got I've got one more question for you I want to ask before we wrap up here. And it has to do with your time as a cavalry officer.
2: Okay, here it comes. I want to know how
0: <laughs> difficult it was working with horses in the modern <laughs> battlefield.
2: So, just so you know... <laughs> No, no joke. The the last horse gallery units were out there. Oh, I don't know, but before my time. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did have a colonel that when I was at Fort Knox who was hell bent for leather to leather to restore uh, horseback, you know, mounted infantry uh, stuff. When and I, this goes the, to, the Rough Riders, yeah, it's to the eighties. And what's funny is, like, he's like, I am telling you what's going to happen. We're going to be in theaters of combat. And I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to be untrained and we're going to need horses. Well, Mm -hmm. fast forward to 2003, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I think it was seven special forces group landed in Afghanistan. And they had this emergency situation where they were all go riding. They literally were riding horses off (laughs) into the hills. And I thought, damn, if he wasn't right. That guy would be (laughs) And they made a whole movie about these guys. It's like, yeah, well, well, there they are. The last cavalry charge happened in 2003. Oh, shit. I knew that was going to be a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I get a good story out of that. He was this crusty old cavalry in the U.S. Army today. It means any mounted, you're either in a tank, you're in a Humvee, you're in a Bradley or air cavalry i i flew around in a, some very unstable helicopters <laughs> um i was on a submarine for six years oh a, no a lot more stable <laughs> oh no i you know what the, if i'd have known that i would have been like apologetic at the beginning of the interview <laughs> <laughs> with a friendly inner service rivalry so i know right <laughs> I, have, I have a good friend who went to uh the naval academy and was on a sub for about five years and i i used to tease him like you know i would make fun of you but my mother told me not to make fun of people who aren't right <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you went down in a glamorous tube under the sea for all that time you, you come back a little different
0: so did he bring up the uh, the way the army lost their ability to have nuclear reactors no that was a fun incident report i got to read and i was
2: going through my training <laughs> I mean, to to be completely candid, having served, uh, let's see, I enlisted in 86 and I was done in 94. I'm actually amazed. Pe- people who go to war and come back are
0: mm. so extraordinary. Yes. That's why I went on a submarine because there's no we, chance of being shot.
2: Yeah. And, and what, Unless what I, did I did it. What I found was there were many days. I never went to war, but there were many days where I was getting trained and Thinking to myself, this could be my last day because I'm not sure that the artillery guys actually know where we are. Oh <laughs> yeah, the no worst sure. thing to happen is to, to to die in training, right? But you're right. It's like holy crap, we're giving people weapons and. Boy, there's a stress factor that goes on when you're around live ammunition.
0: (laughs) I was in charge of the power plant on a submarine, a nuclear powered submarine, at the age of 19. Exactly. What were they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) I know who I was at 19. I wasn't ready for that.
2: Yeah, you got this, don't you? Yeah, I got sure. it. Sure, I got it. <laughs> I was playing high school football nine months ago, and I have a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Well, now I now I have to come back, and I'll have I'll have even more friendly friendly interservice rivalry uh, barbs. At you. I'll have to look up that answer report. See if it's been declassified. <laughs> I can
0: talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a one point where the guy tried to pull the control rods out by hand and then it ended up launching it through the ceiling with the steam explosion that happened oh my god i can't remember if he was pinned to the ceiling or
2: not oh my god yeah it was something and that was the u.s army yes oh my god private snuffy added again (laughs) (laughs) i mean I, I Like I said, in, in the eight years that I was there, I, I I mean, I don't have anything like that. But yeah, I have stupid private snuffy stories that that'll that would make your hair curl.
0: Oh, I've, I think I've told a couple of them on here. Like the aft uh, mechanic coming up and asking the engine room supervisor for a, a wrench that's like as big as he is. And the guy just gives it to him and is like, oh, okay. And then a few minutes later, he's like, I wonder where the hell he wanted yeah. that for. He goes back over and he's out there trying to tear apart the shaft seals while we're underway, <laughs> which. <laughs> <laughs> Open that up and you just let the ocean into the engine compartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs>
2: well, you know, you probably figure you can't sink. You're already under the yeah. water.
0: <laughs> well, he thought he was just getting a head start on uh, some maintenance he knew he thought needed to be done.
2: <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun.
0: That's what we try to make it. We try to have fun, but still learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Joe, this has been an amazing interview. Uh, I, I've had a lot of fun, and I th- I agree with Kyle. We got to get you back on because you've got so much knowledge in there that that one hour is not not cutting it for me. Thank you again.
2: I had a lot of fun. I'm I'm more than happy to come back. Hope hope you, hopefully all your listeners got a got a little laugh and got a little flavor of what we're doing. I'll, I'll be happy to come back, especially. After we make some of our announcements, it'd be fun to talk about the stuff that I'm I'm not talking about. So
0: yes, that's yeah. what I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, one more time, where can everybody find uh, more information about the Dream Exchange?
2: DreamX, dream Dream is in D R E A M E X dot com is our website, and really it channels everything there. You can find all of our social media. You can find Dream X Connect. We have info at DreamX.com. dot com. Is goes directly to uh, the uh, kind of our public relations people. So, and they're happy to take calls. And actually we take calls, senior management will take calls. If people have questions, I'm happy to talk to them. So, Awesome. Awesome. love to Thank see that kind so of engagement.
1: Much, All right, folks, thanks for sticking around to the end, but we got to close up shop. It's been another exciting interview, Kyle. Any parting words, trying top Joe?
0: I'm just looking forward to when we get the list.
1: All right, me too, me too. All <laughs> right, folks, we'll be coming at, back at you pretty soon here at the regular episode. Until then, happy trades. Bye, folks.